So Case, I saw a little package in Flourish for you. You did? Yeah. There what? Were flowers. Oh, oh my gosh, yes. Matt was cute and sent flowers yesterday. Oh, the sweetie. He's getting extra bonus points. I actually <laughs> yeah. sent a picture of that to Shane, and I was like, <laughs> cough, cough, cough. Yeah, wow. He's so sweet. I love that. That was sweet. Yeah. Just for no reason? I guess, yeah, just just because. I got a little knock on the door. I was like, what is this? And she oh was like, for Casey? I was like, who? I was like, is there anyone else named Casey here? <laughs> so hey. sweet. I love that. Yes. Oh, my God, that's amazing. It was super sweet. Yeah. So nice of them, you know? But, you know, we don't see each other a lot, so sometimes you got to send, like, a flower reminder. I love that. Yeah. Um, it was Delaney's. Do you know Delaney Childs? Is that her name? Yes. Um, anniversary on, and she showed about it on social media. And her boyfriend um, did like a whole bunch of like rose petals to breakfast with a whole breakfast set up plus all these candles and everything. And I like slacked it, to, or I didn't slack it. <laughs> I DM'd it to James, and he was like, that's James kind of style. And I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, he does spoil me. He, like, makes so much food for me. And every time he does, he, like, creates these beautiful platters. I'm like, we just need to get roses. Yeah. <laughs> James gets the aesthetic, too. He does. He, he is, like, an aesthetic king. He is. <laughs> he really is. He's really I know. good with that stuff. Thanks. Oh, my gosh. I love that. I didn't see her post that. I need to... Oh, it's so cute. Yeah. Oh, my it. God. Was that today? Yeah. Okay. You know, nothing like living vicariously through social media influencers. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> Who doesn't? Well, we're really excited for you guys because this week we have an awesome guest. Liani, and she is so incredible. We had such a good conversation, and it's the first time that we've all been together ever for the yes. Flourish We Grow Together podcast? Because we started this podcast in the middle of the pandemic, and when we started it, we actually all weren't seeing each other, and then occasionally you, Laura, and Casey are sometimes together, but I've never been here before. I know. This is so exciting. Lindsay's, so in, cool. Lindsay's in from Denver, so we're recording the We Grow Together podcast all together for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. We're our, honestly, our technology is much better at recording remote than it is together. We have to figure out this situation. It's so true. We have to figure out our together setup because right now we're all sharing a mic right now, but uh, hopefully <laughs> audio isn't compromised here. But, um, yeah. but it's been so nice to actually be in person and be doing it. I know. It was such a good combo. She was so, she was so great to talk to. Yeah, we talked all about writing a book, publishing a book, that whole process, intellectual property. So even if you're not interested in publishing, we talk a lot about copyright, trademark, privacy policy, terms of use, like honestly, all the things that I started to dive into this week during our um, legal crash course for business. So, And what I really loved about this episode is that is she talks about how she transitioned into from the legal field into what she's doing now as a writer. And I think that that's really interesting. I feel like you guys will really appreciate hearing that in her story as well. Yeah, because it's easier, I think, sometimes to make a transition when things are difficult and you're like, put in that situation where you need to make a 
a change, which, you know, she'll tell her story, but like, it's also hard when it's like a good thing that you like that you're transitioning from. Totally. And I think she touched on that too. Yeah. She spoke about like the emotional change as well as just like the actual, actually like physically changing careers too, which was really interesting to hear. Cause I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that when you're, you know, making those tougher Life-changing yeah, decisions. Yeah, life-changing decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get into the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Flourish We Grow Together podcast. This is Laura Francesco, founder and CEO of Flourish Co-working Space and Dean Street Law. Flourish is the perfect resource to inspire you. And it's also a lush, sustainable and inspiring space to co-work and host events in Westchester, PA. I'm here with our co-hosts, Lindsay and Casey. Hi, everyone. It's Lindsay, the co-founder of Flourish. And I'm Casey, the community manager of Flourish. And we are so excited. We are here with Liani Kotcher. And Liani, if you want to give yourself an introduction, we'd love to introduce you to the audience. That sounds good. Hi, everybody. My name is Liani Kotcher. I am a former intellectual property trial attorney who has made the switch recently to a full-time young adult author. I'm also a blogger. I blog mostly about books and a writing lifestyle. And I also am about to launch my first course, So I now get to add course creator to my list. And um, I'm going to be launching a course teaching authors, bloggers, and creatives everything they need to know about copyright law. Amazing. Can you share more about your transition between being a lawyer to being an author, blogger, and course creator? Yeah, absolutely. So it's funny, I get asked this question a lot because people are really fascinated on um, how you make a transition from a very corporate, um, and I would say nine to five, but mine was way more than nine to five. (laughs) I was at a big New York law firm. Um, How you make the transition from the corporate world to the world of creativity, which is where I am right now. I actually, from a really young age, I've always really loved storytelling. I'm fascinated with reading. Um, My mother was a school teacher, so I used to, you know, like spend my weekends at the public library and the bookstore. Um, I wrote a lot when I was even in elementary school up through middle school, high school, took a bunch of writing courses. But um, my family, we weren't really in the economic position when I was growing up for me to like follow my dreams and like go be a writer. So my parents kind of pushed me towards a real job. Um, And since I did like writing and I always kind of liked theater, Uh, law kind of seemed like a good path for me. So I actually, I went to University of Florida. So I'm a Florida girl. Anyone else listening is from Florida. Um, (laughs) I I majored, I actually was a public relations major, which is a little interesting for a law degree, but what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. And it was a lot of like writing and reading, um, which I think helped to build a good foundation. I went to law school, University of Miami, went to that big firm, started working in Dallas, Texas, actually. And I really loved being a lawyer. And Laura, you can talk about this too, because I know you and I have bonded over um, the legal thing, like our experience as lawyers, but I loved it starting out. And I, you know, I'm so grateful. My firm was amazing. Uh, Nothing like no negatives, but I just always had that bug to go back and to write. 
I, within like maybe three or four years of practicing, I started taking night classes at Southern Methodist University. That's, I lived in Dallas and that was like one of the good schools that was offering writing classes. I figured like now's the time to learn. I got really into it. I wrote my first book while I was still practicing law. Uh, it's a young adult romance called Prodigal. And then uh, about two years ago, I finally had a little bit of a health scare, had a back issue that kind of forced me into thinking like, now's maybe the time to make the transition. Uh, I had to do like a lot of inner work to really get comfortable with it. But yeah, I finally made the transition about two years ago. And I'm just I'm writing fiction full time and blogging. And then the course is kind of a recent thing I've been working on. I love it. Can you share more? I think that I love hearing the build up to your transition, but I'd love to really like get more details on the exact transition. You know, did you save for X amount of time and then go into full time writing and blogging or was, um, did you have any supplementary income while you initially left your legal position to pursue being a full time author? Yeah, these are great questions. So I think you're hitting on kind of like the two things that people always talk about when you're talking about a career transition. And that's the financial aspect and then the emotional aspect, right? And they're both like super different. And we can talk about both of them uh, to the extent that you think is useful for your audience or whatever. But with respect to the financial question, so I was I was very lucky that I had a pretty lucrative job at one of the big law firms that you know, you work really hard, but you get paid really well, which also makes it hard to leave that paycheck. But I was able, I I knew that I was going to transition probably about a year, a year or two before I did it. I actually went into part-time where I was doing like 70% of my hours. So I started saving my money, uh, knowing that I was going to make that transition. I was going to have to live off of some of my savings for a while. And then um, I also like, I mean, I will say like, I do a little bit have the privilege of, I did get married and my husband has a good job and he's really supportive. So, you know, I don't have like, in some ways I am lucky that I don't have like the rent thing over my head that I know a lot of, you know, people are, are in a situation when they have to worry about like paying their bill. And I, that was not an obstacle for me because of saving the money and because my husband has been incredibly supportive of the writing aspect. So I think for me, the financial was a little bit easier because I built up that cushion through where, you know, I worked for over a decade at a law firm and, and was able to save a lot of money through that. For me, um, and this is a different journey for everyone, right? But for me, the emotional transition was incredibly difficult. So I know some people like the financial might be harder, especially if you go straight out of, you know, college or nowadays people, you don't even have to go to college, right? Like we're in the golden age of content creation. A lot of people are doing this, you know, even in high school. Um, And that might, you know, you might have a more like a financial issue doing it that way. But because I did the long haul of doing the actual corporate job first, that was an issue. The emotional was incredibly hard for me. I actually wound up having to, um, I had a girlfriend who was a life coach at the time. And uh, I was really struggling with making the transition. I knew I wanted to leave, but I couldn't wrap my head around how do I actually leave such a great job where I got along with everyone. I had like incredible mentors, incredible friendships, great paycheck. I liked my clients. Like there was nothing that was a huge, like horrible, I miserable situation, but I just, I knew in my heart, I didn't want to do it anymore, but that's, you know, easier said than done. So I, my girlfriend is a life coach. She's like, let me work with you. Like, I think I can help you figure out this like mindset switch and get you where you need to be. And it actually, it took a little bit of time. It took a couple of months, 
working with her and trying to figure out um, a lot of it for me was tied into my identity. And I don't know if any, you know, you ladies, if you guys can like, un, you know, sympathize with this or empathize with this as well. But for me, it was always, who are you? I'm a lawyer, right? Like I worked my whole life for that. I was a lawyer for 10 years. If I went to a party, if I went, met new people, anyone who asked, what do you do? It's I'm a lawyer. So even wrapping my head around, if I'm not a lawyer, who am I was really difficult for me. But we, you know, we did a lot of exercises trying to figure that out and kind of building myself a new identity that I could be comfortable with. And now I comfortably can say, you know, I'm a former lawyer, but I'm a writer, you know, and and I'm comfortable with that now. I feel proud of that. That's amazing. And I know it's hard to give up that identity as a lawyer, but it's also sometimes hard for your loved ones to give up that identity. I know it's something that my parents are just holding tight. Yes. They hardly accept yeah. a an entrepreneur. <laughs> They're just like, just keep doing your law work. I am so glad. No. Okay. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that because it's funny. This has now been two years, but you're hitting on the other thing that for me, a hundred percent that was super difficult was telling my family so like I said, so my mother passed away from cancer when I was in, in law school. So, and you know, both my mother and my father really wanted me to have this like secure professional career where I always had a salary and having to go back to my dad and say, Hey, I did this for a really long time, but like my heart's not in it anymore. And I felt like maybe I was going to disappoint him or, you know, he was going to put a wall up against it or, you know, be mad at me or whatever. Even though I'm like a 40 year old woman now, I'm still, you know, want my parents approval, my father's approval, but he actually was incredibly supportive of it. So that was another roadblock. I was so scared to tell him and it was something we worked on in our coaching sessions. And she just forced me to kind of like, just tell your dad, like it's time. And he was really supportive. So, I mean, it was, it was surprising, but it worked out. Okay. Good. Well, I'm so glad. And I'm so it's so refreshing to hear everyone's transition stories. I think that's a big difficulty, especially transitioning from something that's very comfortable and safe and you're happy with to something that's more risky. So when you made the transition, what was how did you set up your day? What did you spend your time on as a full time writer? So this is actually so funny, because it's something else that my coach and I was like so resistant to having a life coach because it's just well, a life business coach, just not something that was ever in my wheelhouse as a lawyer. Because like you're a trial attorney, there's not like really coaches for trial attorneys. I mean, it's not something that that's like a thing in the field. But moving the transition to creative, working with a coach, she actually helped me figure out how to block time, which is something I never heard of as a lawyer, especially like where I was at at my firm, there's no blocking time. Like you have to be on court on Monday and you're on court on Monday or you lose your job. So there's, there's no like, what do I put first on my day? Uh, the hearing that you, you know, you're being paid money to go to is the thing you put first on your day. There's not like choosing. like, it seems really easy. And I never thought about planning my day out ever as an attorney. It just kind of happened naturally because you block like your client calls and your, your meetings and when you go to court, but transitioning to working for myself. Um, it's so funny. She, you know, kind of worked me through like, here's how you do your calendar. Here's how you block your time. And I like distinctly remember the resistance conversation I had with her where I said, this is so stupid. I'm a professional. I don't need to block my time. This is for like high school students. And then I went home for the week and like, I didn't accomplish anything. 
because I didn't have a schedule. Um, but so she worked with me. And so now I'm actually really super type A about it. On Sundays, I go through my calendar for the week and I block out. Um, I've got like one of those cute little happy planners, which I love. Um, taking it back to like old school with stickers and stuff, but it, it makes it fun. And uh, I look and I see like, what are my non-negotiables? So, okay, I've got a doctor's appointment on this day. So I block all of that in. And then I block in um, my social media time because that's a non-negotiable for me. Like I've got to be on Instagram. I've got to be on Twitter or whatever. So I block those on the days. And then I make, um, I block working out sometimes. I've been really bad during the pandemic. But generally, like when I'm being good, I'll block out the days that I work out because those are like my non-negotiables. And then I literally, I'll go through the way that she taught me and I'll say, what are my goals for the week? And I'll list them out and then I'll slot those in, whatever's left on my day of time slots. And it's worked really well for me. It's helped me kind of meet my goals each week. I love it. That's amazing. Yeah. We are constantly working on getting better at anything productivity related. Yeah. I mean, you asked like what my basic day, so that's like my Sunday, right? It's blocking my time. And then my basic week is really a mix of I'll block out writing days, depending if I've got a deadline or, you know, I work with an editor now. So if I'm turning changes to her, I'll block those out. And then I actually spend, and we can talk about this. Um, I spent, and you and I, I know Laura, you and I bonded like at Create Cultivate, which was really fun, a women's entrepreneur um, conference. I actually spent a lot of time on marketing and advertising and brand building and like all of that entrepreneur stuff, because I think it's incredibly important as a writer to really build your business brand and treat it as a real business. And that's super important to me. So I spent a lot of like, I'll spend at least two or three days a week doing things like email newsletters, working on my brand stuff. Um, you know, I go back to, I have a marketing plan, a business plan. I kind of look at that every week and see what do I need to do? Um, you know, things like this, like booking podcasts, collaborating with people, but that, yeah, that's it. I usually, I split it between my writing, my actual writing, and then the, the building of the business. Amazing. And you said you scheduled in your social media time. It's something that I've had a really hard time scheduling into my calendar. Um, and I know that you're a blogger and have um, more of a social presence than I do, but I'd love to know how much do you allocate to social media planning, um, shooting content and publishing? I've had kind of some mindset shifts on social media recently because as everyone knows, anyone who's like listening to this, who's on Instagram, and even now Pinterest, there's been these huge algorithm changes, where it's just people are not growing organically anymore the way that they used to. And that's totally fine. But it's really made me shift the way that I see social media. I used to think of it as like this tool that I'm going to grow, 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 and I'm going to have 100,000 followers, whatever. And like, that's not happening. And maybe it's me, but I don't think it's happening for a lot of people. Uh, it's really now become kind of like a pay to play, which is totally fine. But I'm just that's not where I want to put my money right now. So instead, I've had the mind shift of thinking of, especially Instagram is purely marketing. So like I used to think, oh, I've got to be on Instagram every day, I've got to spend hours, you know, I've got to be seven days a week. And now I'm like, no, it's a marketing tool. So I really need to spend my time actually building my product, which is writing, right? Like I'm a writer, I need to be spending most of my time writing, 
or even doing the actual marketing stuff. So I feel like there's a lot of value in the newsletters, but Instagram, I shouldn't be spending, you know, 20 hours a day on Instagram. It just doesn't make sense anymore. And so that's kind of my mindset shift. I really now see it as a marketing tool. So I try and be on it, but it's more for me about when I've got, it's very strategic. So I don't just post a picture of like, I'm eating my dinner, although I do like food, right? <laughs> but that's not what my audience cares about. I, you know, if, if there's a book that I, for whatever reason, like I really love, and I think my audience would like it, I, you know, I'll put that up if I'm like, I'm launching a course now. So I'm going to talk about my course. I love now sharing my book because that's super important to me. It's coming out next October. I'm super strategic about what I share. So that's the number one thing. I don't just put anything up. If I don't have something important to say to my audience, I'm not going to be on Instagram. And then I really, really value building a community. I truly feel like that is what at least Instagram and most social media is about. It's not about me, 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 me. It's about how can I serve you? How can I connect with you? And especially for me, I'm like the biggest, dorkiest book nerd you will ever meet. And I love geeking out over books. And most of my like close friends in real life are not readers. So I adore connecting with people that love to geek out over books the same way I do. And so like for me, if I get a DM, I would rather have one DM from a person that's like, I saw your post about, or right now we're doing Mexican Gothic in my book club. I saw your post about Mexican Gothic. I want to tell you everything I think about Mexican Gothic and how happy I am that you suggested it, blah, blah, blah. I would rather get that one DM than 10,000 likes on a photo. Like I'd rather connect with one person than have 10,000 people that I'm never going to talk to like my picture. So that that's my own perspective. Maybe other people look at it differently, but that is personally how I view social media, at least right now. I love hearing that perspective. Now you said you have editing, you know, turnarounds and everything. When you're going through the writing process, what does the writing process look for you in terms of numbers of drafts? How do you hit your writing goals? What's your writing process? Yeah, it used to be really slow, really slow and cumbersome because I think I didn't really trust my writing as much and I didn't really have a great sounding board. So when I first started, I worked with, you know, they recommend, oh, you should work with a critique group. So I found a critique group. If anyone on um, listening is writes kids books, I would highly, highly, highly recommend. It's called SCBWI. It's the Society of Children and Writers, Illustrators. I'm going to mess it up, but you can just Google it, SCBWI. And it's a um, organization that helps to support children, like people who write children lit and illustrators. I found a critique group through joining that group. And that worked for me for a little bit, but it was, I was meeting with these other writers and they're fantastic, lovely ladies. And I've made great friendships with them, but they're reading my book each week or once a month, giving me feedback. But to be totally candid, like none of us really know what we're talking about, or at least back then we were all kind of starting like novice writers. So I don't think it was incredibly helpful to actually pushing the momentum on my book. And then I would wait and, you know, once a year I'd go to a writing conference and I'd have a real professional look at it and give me feedback. But it was a very slow moving train and I'm a perfectionist. And so it took me like to write Prodigal took me maybe seven or eight years. And the same thing for Ski Week. And I started Ski Weekend's the one that's coming out um, October 2021. 
I started writing that in like, I don't know, like nine years ago. And I'm just now, it's just now getting out there. But within the last year or two, I connected with a freelance editor who has really changed my world and changed my writing perspective. I'll give her a little shout out because I think she's unbelievable. Her name is Amy Tipton. She works at Feral Girl. That's her company. She actually used to be an agent. She worked with Courtney Summers, who's one of my favorite New York Times bestselling authors. And Amy has since then gone uh, freelance. And with her, it's like, and I cannot recommend this enough to people who are writing to just put the money out if you can afford it or you know you can save the money. And I think this is one of the greatest ways you can spend your money as a writer is finding a trusted editor who actually knows what they're doing to really look at your work and give you that professional eye. And with her, I've been able to write so much faster. It is unbelievable because there's no hesitancy. Like I'll turn the draft and I'll send it to her and I get, she's really fast. I get comments within three weeks and then I put it on my calendar because I pay her monthly. I've got to get it back out to her in the next like three or four weeks. Otherwise I'm just burning money because I'm paying someone who's not actually working on my stuff. So that's worked really well for me. I actually was able to turn my third book in six months working with her as opposed to like the seven, eight year business for the first two books. So I think for, you know, that would be my number one recommendation. Even if you have to save the money, I think hiring a professional freelance editor and there's just in case people are confused, there's different types of editing in the book world, at least in fiction. There's a substantive editor who actually edits your book and looks at it from like a plot perspective and a story perspective. Like, does this story actually make sense? Does it have teeth? Is it going to sell? And then there's a copy editor who like, once the story is written, looks to make sure that it's clean. There's not issues like, oh, on page one, the person had blue eyes. On page you know 10, they have brown eyes. And then there's a proofer, which is the third type of editing. And that's when your book's ready, you know, final ready for publication. That's like typos, you know, stuff like that, spelling check or whatever. I'm talking about the first type of editing, which is a substantive editor. And for me, it's been a game changer finding someone that I can work with as far as like moving it fast. If you don't care, if you're like 17 years old, it probably doesn't matter as much. But I'm like, I'm 40 now. I got I got a limited time to get the rest of my books out. So I hugely recommend that. That's such good advice. And I'm so curious, what inspires like your storylines when you're writing fiction? Yeah, it's so funny. I actually, there's a hashtag I use today called find your writing community. Uh, It's like something that's going on with writers on Instagram who are talking about the books that they write and what they write. And I like put a little blurb about like, here's the kind of books I write. And so for me, I think they all kind of have the same like a lot of similar themes in what I write because it's what I care about. So they're all, they're very commercial. So they're, they're very entertaining. I don't write like serious highbrow literature. I read it, but I, I don't write it. I like more escapism. That's what I enjoy writing. I always have a very strong female character for whatever reason, I enjoy strong females. So there's always going to be someone who's like the very strength, strength-based female, smart, smart women. And then I always have some kind of like a swoon-worthy romance. I love romance. I'm like a sucker for romance. If there's any like teen movie about high school and people falling in love, like that, that's my jam. So those are kind of the elements. And then it's always going to make you think. So even if it's a commercial, like high concept, fun book, there's going to be an element in there that makes you think about 
life because for me personally, it's like that's I kind of put that stuff in my writing. I think a lot about life, like why we're here, how do we interact with people, like all the emotional stuff. And um, I also really like to talk about spirituality and it's there. Like it's not, it's not in your face, but it's definitely there woven within the pages and within the story. And then for the actual story, like the plot itself, it really differs. I just like ideas come to me. I feel like that sounds really, <laughs> really like typical of a writer, but like it, it comes to me in my dreams. Like I literally like, I'll just wake up and be like, oh my God, I had like a crazy dream. Like that'd be a really cool book. I know for sure the second book I wrote, Ski Weekend, came to me. Not That was not a dream. That was a very real moment in my life when I was actually, I just moved to San Francisco. So maybe giving it like a step back ski week. And I kind of describe it as like a snowpacked mashup of the breakfast club meets alive. So it's these teens from all, you know, different backgrounds, um, different cultures, and they're all in a car together on their way to a ski trip, senior ski trip, and they get stranded uh, in the mountains in the middle of a blizzard. And it's like a survival story of who lives and who dies. But that particular, the idea for that story came to me in a very specific moment in my life when I had just moved to San Francisco. From I moved from Dallas to San Francisco. And uh, I didn't really like know a ton of people at the time. So I was home alone on a Friday, which is fine because I'm an introvert, so it's okay. And I was watching Dateline and there was um, this really awful, haunting episode that has stuck with me even to this day about a family that lived in San Francisco. It was a young man, his wife, and their newborn baby. And they had driven to, it was either Washington or Oregon, and people listening may remember the story because it did make headline news. They were driving for Thanksgiving, and on the way home, they put, like we all do, right? They put the address of their house in San Francisco in their car navigation. But technology, like there's a lot of things technology can do and a lot of things it can't do. And this car didn't recognize that the route it took them on was actually closed during the winter. So I don't know if you guys spend a lot of time in the mountains, but we actually go to Tahoe a lot because that's kind of near where we are. And there's a lot of these roads that are impassable in the winter, but they show up because they're like, they're too narrow and they get too much snow and like your car literally can't go on them, but they still show up on the navigation system. So they didn't, you know, they didn't print out maps like none of us do. And they didn't tell anyone where they were going. Like so many of us do not do because we've got cell phones and uh, they wound up getting stranded. Their cell phones did not work. And uh, they were there for almost a week. And at the very end, they ran out of baby food. And so the father left the car to try and find help. And he wound up dying of hypothermia. And the very same day, they were rescued a couple of hours later. I'm getting chills just like thinking about it. Because it's such a sad and tragic story, but it didn't leave me. And I just kept thinking, man, I, I do that stuff. Like I all the time. I mean, I used to drive cross country. You know, I drove from like Florida to Louisiana by myself. I definitely didn't print out a map. I just relied on my cell phone. And how many people does this happen to in today's day and age? Like we're so reliant on technology. And then it just came to me and I'm like, I've always loved the breakfast club. What if I put a bunch of teenagers who like, I'm an adult, like I'm an old person and I don't do this. So they definitely don't do it. What if I put them in this situation? How would they react and what would they do? And how would it change how they saw each other? And so that, that's how Ski Weekend was born. So cool. That's super interesting. Thanks. Hey everyone, quick break to chat about the 60 days to launch your business course. 
We are so excited that we launched this course because we know that starting a business is a massive undertaking and there is essentially no rule books on how to do it right. We created this course to encompass everything you need to know in order to build a successful foundation to launch and grow your business. I literally wish that I had had this course when I started Dean Street Law, when I started Flourish, and I am so happy now that I have it that I'm launching my books and personal brand. Yeah, so the 60 Days to Launch Your Business course is an information-packed, I kid you not, information-packed course, also supplemented with a 100-plus page guide. We go over everything like tools, guidance, templates that we actually use in our businesses every day, um, and there's homeworks for checkpoints along the way. And you'll come out of this course with an understanding of how to go from ideation to launch and form an actual legitimate business with a background and everything that you need to know from branding, marketing, legalities. All the things, literally all the things. I mean, there's so much content, 100 page guide, 16 audios, templates, homework, everything. It is literally what took us years and what hope we're hoping to save you. Like that was, uh, I mean, I have loved being an entrepreneur, but gathering all the information on how to do it has been a pain in the butt. And I just wish that I had had it all in one place so that it was just like a breath of fresh air. Being an entrepreneur is exciting and you should have it all at your fingertips. And that's what we wanted. You can find all the information on the course in the show notes. And we have a discount for y'all. Yeah, you can use the code WGT for We Grow Together for a 10% off and hope you enjoy it. And what is your publishing um, process like? So you work with an editor. Is that after you finish your first draft, you work, work right as much as you can to get your first draft? Or is that kind of a back and forth process as you're developing your drafts? Yeah, and it's funny because everyone's going to do this differently because it really depends if you're traditionally published or if you're um like indie which is I consider myself indie so this book is actually being published with a small publisher and um so I pay for my freelance editor I work with her out of my own budget and on my own schedule if you go to a big house like the way the typical publishing journey works for fiction is you write your book a lot of people do now still work with freelance editors just because it's so competitive to like get a book in shape where it catches the eye of an agent, but then you'll, you'll, it's called querying. You'll submit your book to an agent. An agent will choose to sign you and then they will put your book on sub. They'll submit it to like the big houses, which, you know, random house and scholastic Bloomsbury. And then an editor will buy the book and acquire it. And then you'll work with that editor that's in house. But I don't do that because I'm not traditionally published. So I work on my own schedule. And right now, um, the indie house, the small publishing house I'm working with, I, my book is already edited. So I just worked with her on my own. And then I submitted it to them. And now we're just working on like copy edits, which I mentioned earlier, is kind of just like finessing the book and making sure there's no like huge plot hole inconsistencies. And then proofing. The only other really interesting thing I can talk about and this is now true, I think, both if you're an indie writer, it's definitely true if you're at a traditional publishing house and young adult. I don't know if adult fiction does this, but sensitivity edits is huge with um, 
what's going on right now with like BLM and just like diversity and the push for inclusion. If you have characters that are a cultural background that is different from yours, it's highly, highly encouraged to get what's called a sensitivity edit. So it's another type of editor um, in that cultural, like that identifies with that cultural background to read what you've written and make sure that whatever you've written is like not insensitive and, uh, you know, isn't offensive or whatever, isn't inaccurate to that culture. So I actually got one for Ski Weekend because of the characters. One is uh, Chinese American, which is actually based off of one of my best friends from college. So, you know, I thought I wrote it pretty accurately because it's like based on this real person I know, one of my best friends, but I still paid for someone, a Chinese American um, editor, female editor to read it. And then my other, like my absolute favorite character in this book, his name's Hunter. He is a uh, black teen. And so I paid for a um, a male black editor to read it and to let me know if like it was an authentic portrayal. So... That's kind of like how it works. At least I can talk from the indie side. Yeah. And I'm self-publishing my book. Um, so I'm doing a similar process to which you're doing. If someone's looking for a sensitivity reader, how would they find them? How did you go about finding your sensitivity readers? Yeah. And I was going to say to you, should I want to I want to hear what you're writing about. You have to tell me. But it's also funny. I originally thought it was just like, it's definitely big and young adult. Um, cause it's so important, right. To like, we're like shaping the young people of the world. And like, you, you want to put out a really accurate and non-offensive portrayal of different cultures, but it still should be important in adult fiction too. I don't know if it is cause I don't write that, but it's funny. I'm on these calls with my publishing house and they're pushing it as well for nonfiction, which I never would have thought about, but it's, it's kind of like important all across the board. The way that I found my sensitivity editors was first my publisher actually has a list of people that they work with. But then I also put a call out on Twitter, on my Instagram stories. I made a bunch of Facebook groups and we can talk about that too. I'm like, you asked about social media and I think right now the bang for the buck is in Facebook groups and I'm obsessed with them. I have one. I just started one called Rock Talk Ross, the book nook. If anyone's a reader or a writer and they want to join, I would love to have you in it. It's like so much fun. I feel like it's like the best way to build community, but I'm in other Facebook groups as well of, you know, authors and and book lovers. And I put a call for sensitivity readers in those groups as well. And then I also did a Google search. So it's a number of things, but I wound up once I had about, you know, we talked about this, I'm like pretty type A, pretty anal. I, some people will like call one person but I got like 10 names and emailed all 10 people, (laughs) 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 which is overkill. I mean, that's, it's kind of overkill, but like, I'm an overkill kind of person. I mean, this is my baby. So like, I want to make sure it's got the best possible people working on it. And um, yeah, I just compared like who I thought I jived with the most in the emails and their experience levels. And of course, price is a consideration as well. Like I'm not working. So I did save my money and my husband is somewhat supportive, but like, I still have to be really careful what I spend my money on. So those are kind of the factors I looked at. Good. That's super helpful. What are you writing? What are you writing? I want to hear about your book. Ooh, so it's all about the mind, body, and soul. It is a coffee table book. It's the book that I wish that I had in my 20s um, to just like 
understand the so many different facets of working on yourself and how like that work is the most important work because I know um, you know the legal industry is very difficult so I went through some really tough health problems um, and just like burnt myself out had anxiety panic attacks so many things and I mean I have always been very athletic and very healthy but it forced me to become so much more diligent about my health and I mean I'm a very inquisitive person anyways so I mean I just drove dove down rabbit hole after rabbit hole um so it's really all about holistic health and in your mind body and soul okay so let me tell you i love that book idea so much there is such no there is such a need for that i've often thought like i don't i don't want to write it because my heart's in fiction but i've also thought like i should do a blog post or something so i'm so glad that you're doing this and if you ever want to talk about it offline I feel so passionate about what you're saying as well, that it's so important that no one really tells, especially young professionals, like no one told me as a lawyer. And I said, the main thing that kind of made me switch was this health scare I had where my back, my back, literally, I remember this, I was like on my way, like Labor Day for the weekend to LA. And I woke up after we went out one night for dinner, and I could not walk. And I was like disabled for almost a year and a half. I was pretty much in bed, had to go on disability, like couldn't drive, could barely move. And it was all because I have scoliosis. So I had a pre-existing condition, but no one ever told me if you have scoliosis and you're a lawyer or you're working a desk job, you cannot sit at your desk for like 22 hours a day, which is what I was doing, especially during trial. It's literally the worst thing that you can do. It would be better to walk around carrying 30 pound dumbbells, you're less likely to hurt your back than you are to sit stagnant for hours at a time. Like all I needed to do was exercise, stand up, take standing breaks, walk around the office. And I never did that. No one told me. So like, there's such a need for what you're doing. Thank you. It's also so counterculture, right? Um, So counterculture. I mean, I was the first person in my entire firm to request a standing desk. And they thought, I mean, people were like making jokes about it. And then they started offering it to all the lawyers as an option, because it's so helpful for you. It's amazing. And an ergonomic chair. I mean, it's so amazing. And you're right. Like it's not, it's not something that people talk about. And it is left like it. So like I like I said I love my firm or whatever but like at the end of the day we were a like a high performance firm and we had to make our hours and you know perform for our clients and it's like I never took a lunch. No one told me I couldn't take a lunch. It was my own fault. Right. I'm just a go-getter, but the simple act of like not taking a lunch, like you should take a lunch. <laughs> like that's not healthy. It's not healthy to sit at your desk every single day for lunch. Yeah. But no one told me that. <laughs> and I was the same way. Like, I mean, it's counterculture. That's kind of honestly what everybody did unless you were taking a client out or, you know, for some reason your associate swung by and was like, hey, let's go grab lunch or something like that. And even then I would say no. I'd be like, I'm so sorry. No, I'm working on this brief. It's due. I can't. I can't go. And it's like you almost caught bonus points for not for turning down the offer mm-hmm. because it's like you are a hard worker. Yeah. I don't know. It's crazy. It is. And some of that is, some of that's like, I think American culture too, 
Cause like I studied abroad in Spain when I was in law school and it was so different and so wonderful. Like we did the, like the lunch break and the siesta. And I mean, it's crazy. We put such an emphasis on working hard, but at the expense of what, right? Like your body. And also I struggled with relationships too. I don't know if you're going to talk about in your book, but I remember, I'll, I'll remember my best friend was in town. I was in New York at trial and um, I was supposed to meet her. Like I had a trip planned and everything to New York to meet her, to take her shopping for her wedding dress. She was getting married. And coincidentally, I was in New York for a trial at the exact same time. And I did not take a break. Like I was there, she was there for three days and I didn't take a break to go see her because I couldn't, like I felt like I could not because everyone was so intense and we were working so hard and like we were prepping for trial. But looking back now, like, of course I regret that. Like I really, could I really have not taken 20 minutes to go meet her like a couple blocks away? Of course I could have, but I didn't because like you said, it's countercultural and I felt the pressure that I didn't want to be the one person asking when everyone else was working so hard. Yeah. And I still struggle with that. I mean, that was for sure a struggle. I never once had an actual vacation and Lindsay knows how much I struggle to actually take a vacation. Even now that I'm my own boss, have my own firm, (laughs) have my like own business and everything. Yeah. No, I'm glad you're writing that. It definitely it's, it's needed and it's necessary. Thank you. Yeah. I'm so inspired by you ladies now that you can, you know, look back with such perspective and how far you've come and, you know, like you guys are both still so young. So it's so cool that you can remake your own business, how it should be, you know? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, of course. And I, I want to talk about, cause you're a writer, you were an attorney, then you transitioned to writing, but now most recently you've written a course. Can you tell us um, the inspiration behind wanting to do that as well? And what the course is about? Yes, I would love to. So like I said earlier, Laura and I met, I feel like it was love at first sight. I saw her at, um, <laughs> we like bonded, we like bonded Seriously. right away. Like friend love, friend love. I saw her, she was wearing like this gorgeous <laughs> dress and I'm really into fashion. I really like clothes and stuff. Um, I create cultivate and like we hit it off there and, and we started talking and we both like loved this um, blogger, Lauren Everett of the Skinny Confidential. We were both huge fans of hers. So we kind of like bonded over it. And then at the same conference, I actually um, listened to uh, Julie Solomon, who is, uh, she does the Influencer Podcast. And um, I said at that year, like when I was at that conference, I said, this is the year I'm going to like invest in myself. Like, I mean, I love clothes and purses and shoes and all that. But I said, this is the year I'm going to spend the money instead on my own self-development and like really trying to get to the next level of my writing business. Cause it's not just writing like in today's days and age, it's a business. And after that conference, it kind of like pumped me up and I was looking for a mentor. So I actually wound up doing Julie opened this program called shine, which is, and I remember I asked her like the conference, are you going to do coaching? And she said, well, I, I don't know, but I've been asked it a lot, so I'm going to consider it. And then, like, sure enough, a couple months later, she started this program. So I said, it's fate. I'm going to do this. This is the year that I said. And so through the program, I met, like, these unbelievable, amazing women that are all in the same group. And we all started talking amongst ourselves. And we created this, like, really fun accountability group 
where we chat on Fridays, which by the way, for anyone listening on the call, like I will say this over and over and over until I'm blue in the face, but having an accountability group or partner and finding a circle of other, it doesn't have to be women, but like I'm a woman, so I, it's, women's cool, but it could be men, whatever it is, does, gender doesn't matter, but finding a group of like similarly situated, like-minded people that are doing something similar to what you're doing and can encourage and push you is like one of the most important elements to success in my opinion. And meeting those women has been invaluable. Being on those calls on Friday has been unbelievable. But the really funny thing about it is I said, when I quit law, I'm not going to do law again. People ask me, oh, you've been doing it for so long. You're so good at it. Like, it's such a skill set. I can't believe you're not going to do it. I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. I'm never doing the law again. I hate it. (laughs) So dramatic. I hate it. I'm not doing it. But on these calls, every Friday, sure enough, the girls would have questions about the law. Oh, Liani, do you think I should like, do I need an LLC? Oh, how do I form an LLC? Hey, what do, I don't understand copyright. Can you explain that to me? Do I need a trademark? What is a trademark? And I'm like, every call, I'm like answering these questions based on like the 10 plus years I had at my firm practicing intellectual property and business law. And I remember like uh, maybe two or three months into the girls are like, we don't get it. Like, we know that you want to be a writer and you're writing and that's great. But like, you're so good at helping us figure stuff out in a really easy way. Like we've been Googling and we can't get it. And you explain it in like a couple of minutes. Why are you not doing this? And at first I was so resistant. Like, I don't want to do it. It's law. I don't want to do it. And they're like, no, it's not law. Like you're just consulting. Like you're helping you like people. You're helping people understand, especially people in your community that are writers and bloggers. Like there's a need for it. Why don't you want to do it? And I like was so resistant. And then I just like the mindset just like flipped. And I'm like, why am I should do it? I should do it. I like helping people. I know what I'm talking about. It's a great way to connect with other writers and bloggers. And that's how Copyright 101 was born. I just, I decided this is something that there's a lot of value. People are constantly asking this. Even as a lawyer, I used to volunteer pro bono at like, Um, In Texas, it's called the TALA. It's the Texas Attorneys Association for the Arts. I did it in California too. Like there's always something about me that loves helping artists. And so it was just a natural fit to like create this community and help serve this community that I'm a part of and teach them copyright and make sure they're not being taken advantage of because like there's so many mistakes that people make and it can cost you so much, not just financially, but emotionally as well. So I'm super excited. I put the course together and I'm actually launching it the end of this month. It um, it goes live. I've got a free masterclass that's going to kind of break down the five most common copyright mistakes I see most often and then teach you how to fix them. And um, that's absolutely free. You can see it. See if you like my teaching style. See if you think I'm helpful. And then I'm going to be giving away a really incredibly helpful, super valuable bonus if you take that. And maybe sign up for my course. So cool. I think that copyright is honestly something that everyone could use some help in. I'm curious, do you have any really good copyright tips? Yeah, I'll say it's so funny. Like my number, number one, and I think it applies to everyone. It's not just like I focus on authors and writers and bloggers because that's like most of my community. But this applies to anyone. It's anyone who's on the internet. If you have a website, you have to have a terms of use agreement. And there's so many people that do not have this and don't understand 
how fundamental it is to being a business owner, it's like top five things you must have. Because first of all, from a copyright perspective, and that's what I talk about in my course, it protects everything on your website, like your pictures, your blog posts, if you've got stories up there, if you've got course things up there, if you've got your PDF freebies, all of that can be subject to copyright, but you've got to tell people, like people might not know that. So in your terms of use, you basically lay out the terms of when people come to your website, how they can use it. And super important uh, from a legal perspective, it's important, but it's also just really important from, you know, just from a normal business perspective for people to understand how they can use your website. But on top of that, if you're selling anything, so this is not a copyright issue, but it is a terms of use issue. If you're selling anything, if you know, you've got a course, you've got a product, an ebook, whatever, you need to have you know, language though that tells them, do they get a refund? Is, you know, what's the license on this? How many times can they access this? Can they share it with other people? Can they access it from other computers? All these things that need to be considered when you're selling a product. And then there's, you know, a bunch of other little bells and whistles that go into it as well. But in my opinion, it's a non-starter. And I would say that's probably my number one tip. And then, you know, not copyright, but similar to the terms of use, because you said broadly for people, in addition to that terms of use agreement, you know, you should really have a privacy policy that's actually required under the law and then disclosure agreements. So if you're working with, you know, a disclosure policy, if you're working with affiliates, you got to let people know that who are on your website. Or for me, I'm no longer practicing law, at least not for individuals, <laughs> maybe sometimes for myself and my family, but I don't do it for individuals. And um, so anything I say, it's like, it's not legal advice. It's just business consulting, and I disclose that on my website. So if you're a professional and you, you know, you're doing blog posts or whatever, and you're not working one-on-one with someone, you need a disclosure policy to let them know that you're not their lawyer or you're not their accountant. So I think you know, website policies is something every person. Those are the three big ones, the privacy one, the terms of use, and the disclosures, but everyone needs to have those. That's like a, a non-negotiable. Amazing. I'm so excited. I'm going to check out your free masterclass and I'm so excited for everybody to be able to check out your copyright course. To be honest, I like kind of want to enroll in it even as an expert, just because I think it's always so good to hear other attorneys' perspectives on all of the different aspects of copyright law. Oh, totally. And things change all the time. It's so funny because I'm really intrigued now about maybe doing one for trademark because everyone keeps asking me trademark and I know it so well. And I did it for so many years at my law firm, but same as you, I'm actually going to take just for fun. Um, you know, I get all these CLEs still, cause I still am a licensed attorney. I got one from someone, you know, a friend that's doing trademark. I'm like, I know trademark, but like, I'm going to take it. I still like learning and everyone's got a different perspective. They might know something that maybe I haven't heard recently, or maybe there's a new development in the law. And I want to, you know, I want to make sure I'm up to date on everything. So I totally agree with you. I love talking to other lawyers and hearing like different perspectives. And if there's new developments, I love knowing about those. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I'd also love to hear more about what are you doing for copyright in your own business? Are you, of course, I'm sure you have a trademark, um, but are you filing copyrights for all of your like course materials or are you just focusing on copyrights for your books? Yeah. So I actually, it's funny. So the, the main like kind of kicker for copyright. So I don't know how much people want to know on this podcast, but basically once it's in a written form or, you know, a video or whatever, 
some kind of form, tangible medium is what it's called. But like the simple term is like, it's, it's, you can see it, you can feel it, you can touch it, whatever. It's copyrighted under US law. But if you actually need to sue someone or you need to like press someone with a cease and desist letter, if someone takes your stuff, that's when you really need to file with the copyright office. And so kind of like the kicker or, you know, the touch point that most people recommend is when not just it's in a tangible form, but when you've actually published whatever it is that you're trying to protect your work, when you've actually published it for public consumption, because like, okay, I might have my story, but it's on my computer. No one's seeing it. So like the chances of someone actually seeing it and stealing it is like zero, 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 one percent. It doesn't make sense to copyright it yet. But the second it's like about to be published is really when most people copyright. So I have copyrighted my first book because that's available. You can buy it um, on Amazon anytime you want. But Ski Weekend has not yet been copyrighted. I'll probably do that maybe right before, maybe like a month or two before it gets published. It's funny because some publishers, some publishing houses actually, they wait a couple of months until after it's been published. And that's okay. I recommend three months and you'll, if you take my masterclass, you'll know why. I always recommend three months for publication from the time you, you know, from the time you publish, that's the latest that you should copyright it. But I don't, I don't think you need to copyright a book. It was just on your laptop and you're not sharing it with people. It's really when it's going out to the public. And then my online course, I absolutely am going to copyright that. I think it's incredibly important. In fact, I've been hearing stories from a lot of other course creators of their courses being stolen and being reused. So, and you know, it's like the reason why it's important is when you actually send a cease and desist letter or you, you know, file a take, a, it's called a DMCA takedown notice. When you send those, you have to prove that you're the copyright owner. And the only way to do that is to have formally filed your copyright with the copyright office. So I, my course is not live yet. So I probably will send it out. I don't know, next week, the week, you know, week after whatever. And yeah, ski weekend I'll do probably right before, right before it's published. And then my website, I have the notice and everything on my website, but I haven't formally filed the copyright on my website only because there's nothing on my website that I really care that much about. Some of this is like a, a, a numbers game or like a, a value proposition. It's not expensive to file copyright, but like I just don't weigh the weight of what's on my website itself as something that's really worthy of filing. And I talk about this in my course. It's really like, it's not expensive, but still it's a time thing and it does cost money. If you're not worried about it and you don't think it really has intrinsic value, you don't have to file a copyright for every single thing that you do. But my books and my course, yes, absolutely. That sounds amazing. And I love this course. It sounds so helpful, especially for entrepreneurs who just need help and guidance around this topic and area. So that's so exciting. And we're really excited for you. Thank you. And then before we hop off, we always like to ask everyone two questions. So the first one being, are there any resources that you would recommend to the audience, whether it has to do with books or courses or any of that stuff? Yes, absolutely. So I highly recommend you join my Facebook group, Book Nook, if you want advice on writing, if you want book recommendations. And I also will pop in and answer some copyright type questions. But besides plugging myself, which obviously I had to do, um, I really enjoy... So Julie Solomon, who I've said is my coach, um, I really enjoy her influencer podcast. 
I think it's fantastic. I also really like Amy Porterfeld. Um, she's a really, really great businesswoman. She teaches a lot of course creation, but also like marketing stuff. She's got a podcast. Um, I am a huge Tony. So if you're looking for motivation to like go out and get things done, I'm a huge Tony Robbins fan. So really like any of his books, I think are fantastic. I also for writers, I always, always, always recommend Big Magic. I think it's a wonderful book about just like the art of creation. The Artist's Way is also fantastic to get you sitting down and writing. And Stephen King's On Writing is maybe like mm, one of my favorite books ever on writing. It's just such an inspirational story. When you hear about what he went through, and I'm like, I don't want to spoil it, but like writing, you know, Carrie was his first book and he was going to be like, I think he threw it in the trash and his wife found it because he was like so insecure as all of us writers are thought it was not good and he threw it in the trash and his wife found it and it got published. So it's just like a great inspirational book for writers. Uh, I think those would probably be like my favorite, like writing. I'm a big podcast person. So I gave those recommendations, probably my writing and podcast recommendations. Those are some amazing resources. And of course, and of course your podcast. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I really love Stephen King's on writing. And I love how he talks about just having all the tools in your toolbox oh, as how everything so you learn about writing is just a tool in your toolbox and you use them as you want to effectuate what you're looking to effectuate. He's so cool. He's, I just, I love that book. And then I will share like, one of the coolest things I've ever in big magic and the coolest things I ever heard was she's got this theory about art. Cause this is what I am, right? Like I'm an artist and I think a lot, you know, you are too. Art wants to be heard. It wants to be told. It wants to be seen. It wants to be out there in the world. If you have an idea, you need to like grab that idea and you need to do whatever you can do to get that idea out there. You need to write that book, make that movie, film that YouTube or whatever, because if you do not, that art does not belong to you. It's going to go to someone else. It's going to flutter around and it's going to land on someone else and they're going to do it. Yeah. And they're the ones who are going to get that blockbuster movie, that best-selling book, whatever. And it's so funny because you see it, you see it happen. You're like, you have an idea and you don't do it. You sit on it, you do nothing. And then you see the movie is made. And you're like, damn it, I had that idea. <laughs> but it's like, it didn't belong to you. Like art doesn't belong to us. It like It's like the muse thing. Like it comes to you, it speaks to you. But if you just sit on your butt and you don't do it, it's going to go to someone else. So like, I thought that was one of the coolest things in that book that she talks about in Big Magic. Yeah. Yeah. I love that concept. We read that. um, We read that book for the, during our book club that we have. And it's so good. It's like ideas are almost like clouds. They pass by you and you either got to grab it or it's going to float away to someone else. I love it. I want to be in your book club. You'll have to offline send me the link. <laughs> Our Flourish book club, LMD by Flourish book club. We love it. Okay, I'm joining. We'll yeah. talk offline. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Can you share with everybody where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So my handle is Ross. R-E-K-T-O-K-R-O-S-S. That's my pen name and it's on almost everything. My social media, like TikTok, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, whatever. Rec Talk Ross. My website is www.rectalkross, R E K T O K Ross.com. My Facebook group, which I talked about a lot, is the Book Nook. It's a private group, so you'll have to like DM me or find me on Instagram. Um, for the business side, my LinkedIn, Liani Kotcher, it's my real name because it's the whole <laughs> legal thing. 
Um, and that's that's pretty much where I'm hanging out, hanging out the most these days. And then we'll put, uh, you know, in the notes or something, I'll give the link to the master class and the online course. But if you want to find it right now, because seats are limited and it's going to fill up, you can just go to my website. And if you go to the top of the menu under courses, you'll see the master class is listed under that tab. So reptalkross.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. We so appreciate it. Thank you. This has been so fun. I love talking books and I'm really excited for your book. Thank you. I'll have to chat with more with you about it. I can't wait. We love I would that. love that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, ladies. Okay, bye. Bye. Thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode of the Flourish We Grow Together podcast. We are so grateful for you. It means the world for us to have your support. Share it on social media. Tag us at Flourish Westchester. You can find me at Laura MD Francesco. You can find me, Lindsay, at Sweet Green Soul. Me, Casey, at Casey Flew. And if you have a moment, it would mean the world to us if you could leave a review. Every every episode, we give out a free month at Flourish. And if you leave a review and make sure that you include your Instagram handle or some way that we can contact you in the review so that we can announce the winner. Uh, so we always love to give that out. And if you're not local, we can instead give you access to our 60 Days to Launch Your Business course or our legal crash course for business, which is now in our online shop. Yes, and wait, this is by the time you're listening to this, there's going to be a couple days left to get 10% off space bookings if you book in the month of October. So definitely get on that. If you have any Friendsgiving coming up, dinner parties, Christmas gatherings, we're keeping it safe and fun and definitely book your spot. Yes. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys. We have literally the most exciting announcement for you guys. I feel like I'm about to like jump up and down. I'm so excited. (laughs) Me too. This has been such a long time coming. We worked on this over the pandemic. I'm so excited. We can finally announce it and release it to everyone. Drum roll, drum roll, drum roll, please. We are launching the 60 Days to Launch Your Business course. It is so epic, so juicy. Everything that I wish that I had had when I was starting Dean Street Law, when I was starting Flourish, we compiled years of experience into this. And as you guys know, I counsel hundreds of businesses. I also really dove into those experiences too. And put it all in this nice, beautiful package so that you guys know what to do as you're starting a business. Yeah, and the course has actually already been launched. It's live right now. You guys can take it, um, enjoy it. And ultimately, we wanted to create this. And I love, Case, you said this before, that starting a business is such a huge undertaking and there's really no how-tos, rule books, anything like that. So we wanted to create a course that had everything in it that you need to know to get your business up, running, and build the successful foundation that you need in order to grow your business. Absolutely. It should be stress-free. It should be fun. It should be something that you're excited about and feel confident about because you know you have your footing in the right place. There's 
so many people that this works for. If you're thinking that you want to start a business in five years, in one year, it's super really helpful because it breaks down all the steps so you can start planning for it. And I even talk in the course about how some of these steps I had started planning years before I even opened the business because they were ideas ruminating in my head. So it really starts to get you ready for that next step. And if you are ready for that next step, this is perfect. It outlines absolutely everything. It breaks it down into modules so it's super easy to to digest and it really puts a lot of thought into what needs to come first and where to put your energy and focus so that you're efficient and you're just knocking out of the park. But honestly, it's also amazing for seasoned entrepreneurs if you already have your business up and running. I'm actually going to be going back through the course myself for Dean Street Law because I started it without it and It just is a really good way for you to focus back on all the fundamentals of your business and see how can I level up? How can I make this better? How can I make the next year even more strategic and seamless and feel that much more epic and amazing? You know that we love to provide resources for epic entrepreneurs, soulful companies. I'm just so excited for you to have this in your hands. Me too. And this is seriously such an incredible resource. There's so much amazing information. We have the guide that you get when you take the course. It includes 16 audio recordings. The guide is over 100 pages. Within the guide, we have templates for things that we use for Dean Street Law and Flourish. Um, And it also includes homework. So there are little checkpoints throughout when you're taking the course so that you can really be super involved in learning and getting as much as you can out of it, which is so important. We're just so excited. And ultimately coming out of this course, you're going to gain an understanding of how to go exactly from ideation to form a legitimate business. Um, And you'll get a background from everything from like branding to marketing, legalities, problem and solution interviews. We go through seriously everything in this course And I'm so excited to offer this to you guys because it's one of the number one questions that we get at Flourish is either like, will you have an event on starting a business or will you have an event on like the foundations of business or do you guys offer coaching, all that good stuff. So this is essentially like if you guys are solopreneurs, like this is like coaching with us. So I'm excited too, because I feel like being a solopreneur is One, it's kind of overwhelming because you never really know like where is the starting point. So this will lead you through step by step on how to actually form your business and when to do what. And then also it can be like kind of lonely too. So you have information and guidance from all three of us. So we're like your little support system. And I'm just excited for you guys to check this out and to start your business, to grow your business And honestly, just to become even that much more successful. Yay. I can't wait. And let us know if there are any other courses that you'd like. We have a couple more that are releasing soon. We have two in progress, one for social media and one for time management. You guys know I'm obsessed with that. So DM us at Flourish Westchester or if there are any other courses or other resources you guys want us to put together. We always like to make sure that we're providing resources that you guys want. Thank you guys so, so much for supporting us. It means the world to us. Bye, guys.
Thanks, guys. Dean Street Law is our sister company. I'm Laura DeFrancesco, founder and CEO of Dean Street Law. It's a corporate law firm that helps you with everything corporate law and has tons of free resources and guides on our website that you can find everything from protecting your company from liability, forming a startup, and the different types of entities, all the way to intellectual property and social media. So if you'd like some free information on the legal aspects of your business, head over to deanstreetlaw.com, and you can also find us on Instagram at Dean Street Law. We provide a lot of free information and always feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions. Thank you everybody for joining us this week. Thank you.